I've been looking at the reviews coming back for The Lion King. And oh, yeah. The are not, not good. <laughs> no. I think they may no, have broken the through. The reviews are not good. Mulan is not uh, not trending well. Uh, <laughs> I think they just did too much too fast, you know? It's it's going too far. Well, this is the, this is the third live-action remake that Disney released this year. Is it really? Yeah, because they had uh, they had Aladdin and Dumbo, which oh, I didn't yeah. we didn't see Dumbo. I didn't like the original of Dumbo. It was surprising to me that they remade that. I, I think that one has very little to do with the original Dumbo, but this is like a shot for shot. Like it's pretty crazy. I don't know. Right. I I haven't seen any of them. Well, I guess I saw like the Beauty and the Beast one, but that was like the last one that I saw and cared yeah. about. Beauty and the Beast was okay. Aladdin was okay. I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think that they maybe will stop doing this for a while. But who maybe. knows? I mean, it, I'm sure it'll make a gajillion dollars. And so nobody cares that people are like, nah, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessary to do. And they're like, yeah, Disney's no, just <laughs> raking in wheelbarrows full of cash being like, yeah, no, we know. We know it wasn't yeah. necessary. <laughs> we know it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the Mulan one looks kind of interesting, though, because it's not... It's not a remake of the Disney animated one. It's like a completely new telling of the Mulan legend. Yeah. Well, we'll and see. looks pretty cool. I don't know. Like some actual martial arts and she's like openly a, a woman for most of the teaser trailer. Could be cool. Yeah. If it's like Crouching Tiger, I'll, I'll be psyched. I'm down. Yeah, I'm down. There you go. It's going to live up. <laughs> yeah. 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 No music in this one. Which is, Yeah. I heard about I that also. Like that's. They may not be doing like any CGI dragons, like comedic value, right. and no music. It's like okay, yeah, they, they didn't. They, they may they take didn't a recast like the Eddie Murphy role. Just doesn't exist in the movie. That makes sense. Yeah, I think you know. <laughs> I think Christina Aguilera should just show up and sing a song real quick, though. Just <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny because uh, people people on Twitter were talking about how like really. Like, Chinese people don't like the animated Mulan because of Eddie Murphy and the dragon, because of the music, and because they changed the legend. And then, uh, like, one of the top discussion results when the teaser trailer came out on... What's their... What's the Chinese, like, gigantic social media platform? It's like Weibo oh, yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that. Um, apparently, it was all people complaining about how there's not going to be a talking dragon in this one. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, people actually did really like that in China. Nope, that's all. It's all uh, fake accounts, bro. <laughs> There's, those are bots. Those are Disney bots. State state-run media. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty funny. Welcome back to the Liquid Flannel Podcast from Arlington, Texas. I am Matthew Hodges, joined as ever by my colleague and comrade in Omaha, Nebraska, Brendan Williams. Brendan, how you doing tonight? Uh, I think I've been shadow banned from the show. Can you hear me? Can you hear me right now? Yeah, I think- no, um, it's just saying audio not, not loading. <laughs> Try again later. 
yeah, an, another survivor of uh, what what I think is going to go down in history is one of the worst things that's ever happened to anybody in the millennial generation. Uh, we've got a new guest on the program tonight coming to to us from Des Moines, Iowa. Will Powell. Will, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Will, where were you when the towers fell? I'm sorry, when the... Uh, Twitter went down for about an hour. Uh, I was at work, and when I tried to check my phone, I was like, oh, shit. And just kind of <laughs> sent out to one of my friends. I was like, hey, can you go on Twitter and see if I'm banned? Because yep. uh, <laughs> uh, things are kind of interesting right now. He was like, no, nah, it's not working for me either. I was like, yeah. all right, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I think and then I played on Facebook, and I was like, oh, well, this is... This yeah. is what this was again. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think pretty much everybody got a text like that or sent one from somebody like, "Did I get suspended? Did I finally swear at the wrong blue check mark?" And this right. is what happens when you get suspended from Twitter. <laughs> well, yeah, it was weird because it was happening at the exact same time that Trump was having his giant like social media slash like Trump troll summit. Right. <laughs> it's <was laughs> like he's having like troll con. On the White House lawn. Uh, and then Twitter mysteriously shuts down. I think it might have been the deep state or collusion or something. I don't know. Like, what's, what's going on here? about it right, right. now? <laughs> yeah, his, uh, his little old conference that he had today um, opened up by none other than Sebastian Gorka, um, who is, you know, not only the person that you need to be opening up a conference at the White House, but also a tech expert, I guess. <laughs> Dipshit Magazine's Man of the Year. <laughs> Head like a Christmas ham, that guy. Unbelievable. He was literally getting into like um, an almost physical like fist fight with a with a reporter at the at the summit because uh, he you know Trump gets up there and everybody's I think Laura Loomer might have written Trump's remarks because he just complained about how Twitter doesn't let people follow him and he's like everyone comes up to me and just says sir sir i just i want to follow you on twitter but they won't let me <laughs> right yeah <laughs> and so he was talking about how you know blocking uh conservatives and conservatives getting silenced is like the worst thing in the world and you know having to you know having to block someone is is you know or be banned is from social media for making racist posts is the worst thing ever. And so this reporter's like, Mr. Gorka, why do you have me blocked if you're against blocking? <laughs> um, and he was like, how dare you, sir? <laughs> Come into my house. <laughs> yeah, was was Loomer there? I don't think so, actually. Uh, <laughs> I think we would have heard about it if she was. She, yeah, she would yeah, not have okay. let us not hear about it. Well, how how would we have heard about it? Because she's not on any social media uh, at this point. It's, and, it's rough. And Twitter was down. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Gab was up the whole time. So, you, you guys, you got <laughs> ah, yeah, to check. I'm sure the, the Stormfront forums were working just fine during that period. <laughs> yeah, there's an alternative out there. They're yeah. not a monopoly. The Donald um, behind their quarantine probably were following it. Um, yeah, Trump's comments on the whole thing were really funny, actually, because apparently he talked for like 20 minutes about how, you know, it, it used to be, you know, when I would make a real... I don't remember what word he used. It was really funny phrasing. Like, when I make a really good tweet, I would gain like 100,000 followers. But now it's like... You know, sometimes my follower count drops. What's going on, guys? And 
I don't know. I, I think applying Occam's razor, I've got to imagine that Trump's Twitter fan base has got to be pretty much topped out at this point, right? Like, there aren't a whole bunch of new people joining Twitter just to see what the president is talking right. about on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely. <laughs> Trump thinks there's a huge audience of, you know, hundreds of millions of people who are like, Donald Trump, huh? Hmm. No, I've never heard of him. Um, I should follow. I should follow him on Twitter. He's got he's got good tweets. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's just not a that's just not an audience that exists. I don't think. Yeah. Or that you know a bunch of his fans are like you know what I am going to get on Twitter. I've got to support our president. And then they get on there and they're mm. not allowed to follow him, which oh. is that's not true. That's not that's not real. Just verify your email, boomers. Like it's it's not hard to not get flagged as a bot on there. Oh no, he's just uh, admitting that all of his his fans are bots. Like he, yeah. and when he says like <laughs> right. all my fans reach out to me, he's like the bots DM me, and I, I read <laughs> I read the DMs. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and that may be why his number is fluctuating so much because we know that Twitter is in fact trying to crack down on bot behavior. Uh, not actually shadow banning. You know, you see so many of these uh, conservatives. They always have like where we go one, we go all in their in their Twitter bio. Uh, but they put the big red X right there in their handle. Uh, and that's to indicate that they've been shadow banned for being <laughs> a conservative online. And it's like, I can I can see you. I see lots of people with well. the red X. They think they're shadow banned just because their tweets are bad and no yeah, one no, interacts, yeah. with them. <laughs> interacts with them. <laughs> Nobody's keeping me from getting ratioed, so that must yeah. be what's actually happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's like a running joke on garbage Twitter. That's like, I'm assuming I'm shadow banned because none of you assholes ever interacts with my tweets, my bad tweets anymore, you know. I mean, that's just satire at that point. But it was pretty enlightening to me because I think they did find the one issue where Trump is really engaged with this issue. Like, you know, the war in Iran is not going super great because he's already moved on. But this issue is the one issue that he is just constantly fixated on. Like what's happening on Twitter is like his number one like policy priority at all times. So it was amazing to see because it was clear that he, he really is digging in deep on, on this topic, uh, unlike any other topic that he ever has to talk <laughs> right. about. Yeah. There was an article that came out today um, that had to do with um, some trade policy. I have to look it up again. Cause I, I just saw this before we started recording, but you know, as we've seen so many times before, he basically just dropped this big policy initiative. Oh, it had to do with uh, it had to do with the rebate, like the drug rebate thing. Uh, and oh, yeah, you know, that was ridiculous. like really complicated supply chain pharmaceutical policy. And he basically just completely dropped the policy because, you know, in the words of one of the people who was in the room, they were like, he just never really seemed to understand what we were talking about. He just lost interest. Right. Well, it's so funny because this is the thing that he kept saying, which he was like, I'm going to make the prescription drugs cheaper. They need to be cheaper. They're ripping everybody off. I need to make the prescriptions drugs cheaper. And then they were like, oh, this is how you should do it. And he was like, man, that sounds like way too much work. <laughs> right. Um, and then as soon as they announced, like, we're not going to do this anymore, 
all the healthcare stock prices like went way up because they were like, yay, we can keep ripping people off. We thought maybe we weren't going to be able to rip people off anymore, but right, right. gravy trains still running everybody. And so then he gets to count that as a win too, because he's like, look, I saved the economy again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of things that Trump has dropped, um, apparently he's just completely capitulating on the, uh, the, Oh, the census. The census on the citizenship question on the census. Um, but, again, like taking a victory lap because he's just going to do an executive order to try to do an end run around the courts on that. Yeah. Well, the cool thing is, like, um, he totally is not even pretending that he won on it, which is kind of surprising. Um, oh, he sounded he... so sad. Did you hear any of the... <laughs> Any of the press conference, like, it was obviously he was just reading prepared remarks, and he sounded so just deflated. I mean, he sounded like a sad old man. Well, clearly what happened was he said, well, the Supreme Court said I couldn't do it, but fuck those guys. I'm going to do it anyway. Right. And then everybody around him was like, you really, you really can't do, you really can't do that. <laughs> right. You really can't just say, like, the Supreme Court ruled against me, so I'm just going to ignore the Supreme Court. Like, that's just not a great look even for you and so i think eventually he just said oh i I guess what they're telling me is like this just can't be done um so he was like i'm still gonna do it by saying that i'm gonna do it but i'm not actually gonna do it yeah totally and then he he releases this uh executive order where it's like i'm ordering the commerce department to collect all of the information on you know uh citizens legal migrants and illegal immigrants and, you know, like, we'll we'll use that information. It'll be more reliable when that's what they've been doing for months anyway. That was like the first thing that Wilbur Ross announced uh, when they said they were going to shoot for a, a citizenship question on the on the census. So the executive order doesn't actually do anything new. It's just this completely toothless. But he gets to say, like, oh, yeah, like Supreme Court says I can't do this. I'm going to do something, something. Yeah, it's pretty. uh. It's it's been pretty interesting. He's had a, he's an interesting day, you know. And then there was also that tweet storm from him that was him talking about like you know when I'm still president for the next six years or ten years <laughs> or fourteen year olds. Haha, just joking. <laughs> and everyone's like, well, I mean, maybe he's joking and maybe he's not because clearly he doesn't respect like anything having to do with the Constitution or what the courts say. And then. He released that video, that, like, time cover where it was, like, Trump 2020, 2024, 2028. Trump 40K, baby. Yeah, Trump E-E-E-E-E-E. It's just like, okay, here here we are. Yeah, Trump still president in the year 90,000 AD. It could happen. He's you just know, a he's head got, in a jar at that point. He's got all the top scientists. I think what we could do is we can just take. He's tweets so much. We could just take one of those like AI bots. Oh yeah. Where you like feed it all the Harry Potter scripts, and then it just writes some gobbledygook nonsense that kind of sounds like Harry Potter. We could just do that with Trump. Just feed all his tweets into there, and then it would just continue to tweet. 20 times a day for the, you know, history of the universe, you know, for the remainder of time. I find it almost impossible to believe that that hasn't been done already, that there's there's not a, a Twitter account that's just running a like a Trump tweets bot. It is. That's why they shut the, the Twitter, the Twitter uh, down, yeah. down today. It was it was becoming <laughs> self-aware. <laughs> 
maybe this was the crossover. This is when his the Trump actual tweets were replaced with the bot Trump bot tweets. And, you know, who can tell the difference, really? The tweets are nonsense either way. So, well, I thought it was really funny that we were going to have Will on the show tonight um, being from Iowa when on the last episode, you know, pertaining to Twitter, we were talking about how uh, Ken Klippenstein uh, got Steve King to retweet mm. that the picture of, of his uncle, Colonel Jessup. <laughs> <laughs> Steve King, the pride of Iowa. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we're very proud of Steve King in Iowa, and he's he's doing great things for. We have a t-shirt company called Raygun that like one of the most popular t-shirts is like I'm from Iowa. I'm sorry for Steve King. I've seen I've seen those bumper <laughs> it's, stickers. It's yeah, very popular. Like, it's very popular. Um, but that was it's a small little victory because. Um, I think it was J.D. Schlotten who ran against him, and he did what he needed to do. He was going to every every county. He was running around, like, really illustrating, like, the need to get rid of him. And it's like, he's talking to everyday people, and he's like, your, your material life and everything going on in your life has not gotten better with this guy in office. And he did better than most people running against Steve King, but he still ended up losing. Yeah, and that is one of those things where I was actually like kind of surprised that he lost because uh, I was like I've been to a few of his rallies and I think he actually may do it. And then um, the demographics in Iowa is like the northeast, like quarter of Iowa is just evil Dutch people, and that's what basically ended up fucking him was like that area because that's when like King's numbers really shot up and it was just like well. If he can hold his lead over King when this when these numbers come in, he may be able to get it. And it was just like, no, that's when everything reversed. And it was just like, okay. Well, I hope he runs again or somebody does because, I mean, it seems <laughs> like he, he should be vulnerable, especially now that he's become so openly racist that even the Republicans are like, we don't necessarily want to be associated with you. And they like kicked him off a bunch of committees and stuff, too. So the fact that he's like, I'm going to go represent you in Iowa – where you know in the in the capital where I can't even sit on committees because of how racist I am. That's how effective of a representative, you know, of representation you're going to yeah. get. Yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a tricky thing and kind of tying these threads together. Um, and I, I think this partially has to do with also a a flaw in the way political news gets reported, being largely coastally based. Um, that it's really easy for people online to misconstrue massive dislike for one politician, you know, nationally or on Twitter or whatever for what their actual favorable, unfavorable rating is in that district, because, you know, not a lot of reporters, I think, are going out to you. What's what's Steve King in? He's in like Iowa sixth or something like that. Yeah. Where where is that? What what uh, town does he represent? Like, what's the big? I like, think it's been center. Uh, let yeah. Me see. I mean, I don't think I don't think NPR is sending like Scott Detrow out to <laughs> you know Spencer, Iowa, or whatever to really get the like the on the ground picture of of Steve King's popularity. So we get this really distorted view looking at it through social media, where you know Steve King is horrible and he says horrible things online. But I mean, how many of his constituents are on Twitter and even know about any of that stuff? And yeah. especially if the only other news that they're taking in is you know, their local, um, you know, K whatever, you know, news station 
and Fox News. You know, you're never going to hear anything about Steve King. Yeah. And like even during his rally, Schladen was talking about like he would sit down with people in Steve King's like uh, hometown and they would just not be aware of who Steve King is. It's just, yeah. hey, that's that guy I've always voted for. And then like he, he would make some ground when they would find out they're like, holy shit, this man is like a literal demon. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is what everybody outside of your bubble has been trying to tell you. But that's that's basically what it takes is like sitting down, like probably individually with all of these people and just being like, look, this is <laughs> right. this is our file on Steve King. Just just look at it. Just just review and <laughs> tell me your thoughts at the end. Of it. Yeah, we're going to put uh, together like a, a 45 second just Facebook newsreel. On <laughs> if this is why Steve King is bad. Um, but, you know, it, it also it also puts me in mind of. You know, I think the the Democratic National uh, Congressional Committee messes up a lot, too, because they they look at the same information that like a progressive ran against Steve King and didn't beat him in Iowa. Therefore, what we need to do is go farther to the right where you've got this gal running against Mitch McConnell in Kentucky. And she's going to (laughs) be she's going to be the the pro Trump Democrat. Um. Because that's that's a winning strategy is run to the right of Mitch McConnell because yeah. people are tired of Mitch McConnell. So it's like, I'm actually going to be worse than him. Like, vote for me because yeah. it's not Mitch, but I, I promise to be worse. And it's it's such a it's such a fantasy move, too, because, you know, what they don't understand is, you know, without a politician actually going out and connecting with the voters and saying, Here's why this person is materially bad for you. Here's what I would do to make your life materially better. People are just going to go into the voting booth for the most part and just check the box with the R or the D by the name. So I think so. I think this strategy could work. And I think there's a way that you can thread the needle because I think what she's trying to do is say, hey, look. Mitch McConnell's super unpopular. And one of the reasons that he's super unpopular is because he blocks everything, even things that, you know, Trump supporters might like, like fucking universal health care, you know, shit like that. Right. I would love to see this lady go out and start running on a progressive platform and then just calling it a Trump friendly platform because (laughs) she's already kind of trying to do it, but not very well where she's saying, you know, Trump ran on drain the swamp. I want to drain the swamp. Mitch McConnell is the swamp, right? Like I actually think that's a pretty good line. Now she does say some other shit about, you know, supporting Trump policies that are probably are not super great. Yeah. Like where does she stand on say immigration reform? Or right. Like, like she that? was like, I totally would have voted for Kavanaugh or whatever. Like that's dumb yeah. to yeah. say, but <laughs> again, it's like, she's just saying it like it's, it's, it's like a meaningless thing to say. So it's not like she actually is going to get to vote on him or whatever. So why not just say it? What do you got to lose or whatever? So I don't know. I'm hopeful that she could hoodwink the people of, uh, of Western Kentucky into into voting her into office. I don't know. I mean, don't she's people, still going to be better than Mitch McConnell? Well, I mean, pretty much anybody would be better than Mitch McConnell. But don't the people of Kentucky, don't the people of Iowa deserve somebody better than that? Somebody who can offer all of the things that they like and also push 
you know, progressive, uh, you know, whatever, like identity related politics, you know, be good on topics like racial segregation or abortion or religious freedom. Um, do we need to, is it not just playing into their hands? Is that not just the, the Nancy Pelosi sort of triangulation, the, the 45th dimensional chess uh, that isn't working because if you're not really connecting with people on a, on a personal level, like Will points out, like, aren't people just gonna go ahead and vote for whatever party they've always voted for? You yeah, know, I um, think, I think the, I think the nightmare, I think the nightmare scenario for like the democratic socialists of America is that you get this gal, you know, build up some momentum in Kentucky, and all of a sudden Trump comes out in favor of Medicare for all. Is that bad, though? <laughs> I don't I think mean, that's it's, bad. It's bad because of all of the rest of the stuff that he wants to do. Well, that's um, true. I mean, to me, if you if you want to run on an actual progressive agenda and then just slap a Trump label on it, because Trump, the magic of Trump is that he's on both sides of every issue. And so you can point out things where Trump has endorsed ideas like everyone should have health care and the government should pay for it or whatever. And then just say, yeah, I support that. And so does Trump. Me and him are in line. <laughs> like, that's the magic of doing it is that you can't actually do it. But the key is you do actually have to support things that people actually want and you have to go out and talk about them. So... I don't know. I think that's the key piece that's missing because right now it's just all lip service and you need to actually get out there and explain to people why you are pushing for this thing because it's actually going to help them. You know, and I'll, I'll agree with you to the extent that um, it is lip service. And from the side of the Democrats, you don't even get the lip service. They actively are opposed to a bunch of these things. Anyway, yeah. we talked Brendan into defending Donald Trump, so I think it's, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good place for us to take a break, and uh, we'll we'll come back and and pick Will's brain a little bit more about uh, true Great Plains politics. This is a real Great Plains episode we got going, so we'll be back in a minute. You ask what land I love the best, Iowa, tis Iowa, the fairest state in all the West, Iowa. Oh, Iowa, from yonder Mississippi stream to where Missouri's waters gleam. Oh, fair it is, as poets dream. It does get a little tired, Charlie. I mean, I'd ask you to go back through history and figure out where are these contributions that have been made by these other categories of people that you're talking about? If the, what, Where did any other subgroup of people contribute more to civilization? And white people? So speaking of Midwestern politicians, I think we decided that Paul Ryan counts as a Midwestern politician. Is that right? Yeah, sure. I mean, he's, he's from what, yeah. Wisconsin or whatever? He's from Wisconsin. That counts. Yeah. So there's this new book coming out, American Carnage, The Front Lines of the Republican Civil War and the Rise of Trump. That sounds hot as hell. You know, has some, some choice interviews with... Uh, some of the Republicans, you know, aren't aren't super Trumpy, including one Paul Ryan, former <laughs> Speaker of the House, former vice presidential candidate for the Republican Party that two years into Trump's presidency was like, fuck this shit. Yeah. I'm out of here. <laughs> I would say I would say rip Paul Ryan's dreams, but I'm sure he just went immediately into a highly paid position in the private sector. Ironically, it does not talk about what 
you know, millions in lobbying money he's raking in <laughs> now. Uh, they keep to the topic at hand, uh, the important topic, which is, you know, how Paul Ryan, you know, did everything that he could, but just couldn't couldn't stand to, you know, serve under Trump and just had, <laughs> right. Yeah, had it was a principled departure, not the fact that Trump was just making fun of him all the time, just humiliating him. So, yeah, he says, uh, here's a here's a quote. Uh, you know, we've just gotten so numb to bad behavior, not just in government, but everywhere. You shouldn't call a woman a horse face or cheat on your wife or cheat <laughs> at all. You should be a good person and set a good example for people. You should spend a lot of time working out. <laughs> uh, and so, But now he says, and the worst part about it is that anybody who would have been in there to stop Trump from being dumb left. That's the worst part. And it's like, dude, you... You fucking did that. Like, yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? You're directly responsible for this. So, yeah. In fact, I mean, Paul Ryan was, I mean, he was speaker under Obama, too. Like, the whole rise of the Tea Party happened under him. The the rise of the Freedom Caucus and, you know, who he caucused with sometimes, depending on, you know, what the issue was. You know, when John Boehner was the speaker before him, he did the exact same thing. Except Trump wasn't in president yet. It was just all these Tea Party dudes saying, like... You know, like Ted Cruz being like, let's shut the government down again. And he's like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, <laughs> right. I, I need to get the fuck out and start smoking hella weed. Uh, and he did. Uh, and then there was this whole struggle that nobody wanted this job. I don't even know who the guy is now. I fucking forget who it is. Like Kevin McCarthy or something like that. Like, this guy is like, it's a completely worthless position. Trump has made this position completely meaningless and of course now the democrats control the house too so who gives a shit yeah who was it before before the dems swept in or was that right around the time ryan retired right right exactly so um but yeah i think it's like minority leaders like kevin mccarthy or something like that he doesn't do fucking shit because how could you do anything when trump is the only person that's driving the agenda and his ideas switch you know hour to hour on you know what side of of any issue he's going to be right change his mind in the middle of the night (laughs) yeah (laughs) Well, and like you pointed out, Brendan, you know, it almost doesn't matter what the House minority wants to do at this point, because, you know, in the Senate, Mitch McConnell is setting the entire schedule and he doesn't want to do anything that's good ever. So even if the even if the House minority did come up with something, you know, that that would probably pass the Senate, McConnell wouldn't pass it at this point. Oh, for sure. There's going to be like a hurricane in Louisiana and, you know, they're going to be like, Hurricane relief, fuck that. I mean, it, it took them, we've talked about it on the show, but look how long it took them to, you know, pass any kind of disaster relief for, you know, the California wildfires, which ended up getting rolled into the flooding disaster relief for all of the flooding that we had, you know, across the across the Great Plains all, all spring. Yeah, and great news. Keep It just keeps happening. So there was literally nine inches of rain in 24 hours in Kearney, Nebraska earlier this week. Jeez. Um, so, like, what the fuck do you even do about that? Yeah, like, in July. That's nuts. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. I, mean, I assume that uh, Iowa has all kinds of flooding and shit, too. Oh, yeah. I think um, Joni Ernst sent Trump a request for... Oh, she prayed about like, it and it's fixed now? Yeah, <laughs> like, she, no, it's not fixed, but she, she definitely had requested a shit ton of money to, like, fix the damage and... Like, everybody was like, it's not, it's not going to happen. But it's just like, we can just kind of expect the flooding to continue happening because it's like, it's July. So, 
just build around it, I guess, is the, the, the solution currently. Yeah, yeah, for like, you know, $9 billion, we can build like the world's largest umbrella and just like stick it in the middle of town. <laughs> Problem solved. Like, this is not that hard, people. End up with those like Lovecraftian, um, like protective domes over all of our cities, oh, except it's yeah. over all of our, Dude, over all of our, our farms instead. I have long been a proponent of living in the domes. Uh, I don't yeah. know why it's taken us so long to just start building the domes. <laughs> it's clear that shit is going to get so fucked up in the environment. We're going to need the domes, so we might as well get started on it now. I think it's actually going to be, um, you know, if Trump was smart, he would put it on his infrastructure plan and be like, domes, baby. Right. We're making it happen. His fans <laughs> would love it. He's the only guy that can get it done. Hey, I, one of the easier uh, border protection measures probably would be to, you know, just have every city inside of a dome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> put everybody in a dome. <laughs> Take that, rural America. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised that Paul Ryan is still out there. I mean, it's. It is nothing but virtue signaling because honestly, like while he was in office, he was more than happy to go along with pretty much anything Donald Trump wanted to do, except for the stuff that had to do with uh, like global trade um, that all of his massive donors and other cronies were saying, like, actually, this is really bad for business. Um in anything that goes against the like the big neoliberal experiment, the the Center for American Progress sort of uh, policy slate, he was against. But anything else, he was totally fine with. And then, yeah, I really think that he just got called a cuck on Twitter by Trump one too many times and decided, like, you know what, this isn't worth it. I could make a lot more money doing something else. Well, and I think it's it's quite telling that you know for eight years, you know, he was up there be in the face of like a black man wants to give people health care hell no you know i will right. not go quietly into this night i will not <laughs> let these people get health care i will fight every day you know to my last breath but then as soon as you know a racist dude gets an office that even he is like this is bad he's like you know what i'm gonna tap this one out uh i just don't have it in me to you know to, <laughs> right. to fight the good fight anymore yeah. and it's like well what changed here man like why why were you so obsessed with fighting the good fight before and now you're just going to throw in the towel even though it the you know the downstream effects are far worse and right. you know it yeah Ma it's massive thinking face emoji on that one well i wanted to i wanted to shift gears a little bit i think that's a decent transition at least um so will you had a thread um this this really is switching gears to more current politics you had a thread um, just, I think yesterday, maybe earlier today, maybe, maybe before the, the Twitter apocalypse happened and you were talking about, um, how, uh, and I want to preface this by saying that I don't think that liquid flannel has necessarily endorsed any one particular candidate, uh, for president. I think that except for Williamson. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we did we did toy around with uh, Pete Buttigieg there for a little while, and then it turned out that he is awful. Um, no, but I, I think I think by and large, uh, Bernie Sanders is the person with the policy positions that most closely align with kind of what our show wants to represent for for the Great Plans. And you had a really interesting thread responding to the idea of. Um, not, not just specific behavior, 
but also the trope of specific behavior on the part of Bernie Sanders supporters. And I was hoping to pick your brain about that a little bit because uh, the the instigating uh, is this uh, Zerlina thing. This yes, this is this oh was my the god, thing. holy shit! So, <laughs> yeah, so um, just a little bit of back. Well, sorry, a little bit of background. We're talking about her name's Zerlina Maxwell. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she is one of these people who's very anti-Bernie online. She's part of that sort of hashtag resistance, uh, hashtag still with her clique online. And probably isn't like the most honest in her criticisms. Like I, th- I think the, the instigating tweet was the one that Bernie Sanders put out where he said, you know, like, look at this Jeffrey Epstein stuff. Um, like the justice system works one way. If you're a billionaire, it works another way. If you're working class or a person of color, and a lot of these people glommed onto this or, you know, like, oh, people of color aren't the working class, which is not a good faith criticism at all. Right. I think we can all agree that that's not a good faith criticism of what he was trying to say. But then you did have some people with, you know, with some audience on Twitter who were making it about Zerlina and not about the the bad faith criticism. Can you help, help us unpack this a little bit? Yeah, and it's um, it's one of the more frustrating things of like the discussion surrounding identity politics and a lot of burners have that kind of reputation of being Bernie bros that they're like anti-identity politics. And I think it's more um, not quite identity politics. Even the ones who say that they're against it, I think they're more against like aesthetic politics. Like you have somebody like Kamala Harris who is a black woman, but you look through her history and she has a she's always kind of been anti-black as being part like being very aggressively enthusiastic for like our justice system uh and how that treats people of color very much playing into sort of a a racist version of the criminal justice system where she's going to go really hard in on say like black uh like minor drug offenders there is all of that but i think um i think the frustrating part of that is a lot of people there, there is a narrative, not just with like Bernie supporters, but also Bernie himself that like, he has a problem with messaging. I, I constantly see that, um, that criticism leveled at him. And it's like that, that very well may be true, but a lot of people who are definitely like latching onto the, ore, like you find examples of them also basically making the same kind of arguments and doing those kind of things where it's like, uh, working mothers and women of color. And so it's like you also kind of get trapped in whatever it is that you're like criticizing Sanders for. Yeah. Or you see people, uh, you know, people were pulling up old tweets from some of these uh, kind of bad faith uh, interlocutors um, where they explicitly said that the working class as used by the media does not include people of color, um, which is I mean, that's that's exactly the same point that they're going after right now mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> well that's not just a bernie thing too i mean you really do see that divide in all kinds of places especially in the in the media you know in in talking to trump supporters too when they talk about the working class from the trump side you know when they talk about like the real america and all that do you think trump fans are including 
you know, a multiracial coalition Hell in no. the perception of that audience. <laughs> that's like, no, absolutely that was like not. Post-9/11. And no one ever calls them out on it. Dude, you know? listen to fucking NPR. They do this shit all the time. Yeah. When they want to talk about the working class, they go to some diner in, you Yeah, know, they're like, we're in Whitesburg, Kentucky here, and uh, we're going to talk to some, some you know, yeah, out-of-work coal in miners. we're in Pennsylvania, where... You know, the, the ethnic breakdown of this town, of this particular town is 99% white. These people truly are representative of the working class. These people eating 12 eggs in one sitting at a diner or whatever. <laughs> it's kind of like right after when 9-11 hit, like there was the narrative that we're all Americans. And then two weeks later, like some of us became real Americans. And it's like, okay, so <laughs> right, like, what yeah. is, who's, what's the distinction that you're making here now? Because... I thought we were all Americans after we got attacked. Well, some, you know, <laughs> some Americans are looking a little terrorist yeah. uh, compared to other Americans, uh, you know, if you get my drift. And I think this is a, I, I mean, it's a, it's a massive problem for pretty much everybody involved. Um, as somebody who would like to see Bernie Sanders do better on these issues, that's, that's the one I'm most interested in because without uh, – I'm going to start that sentence over. With some good reason, people do tend to think of him as somebody who is very class reductionist, that a a lot of his arguments kind of fold down into the, you know, the the 99% versus the 1% and leave out these identity issues. And Will, I think you're right that a lot of the frustration uh, with, with id Paul, with identity politics, uh, comes from the idea of of weaponizing that, you know, and making it like, you know, we need to vote for this person specifically p- because they're a woman or because they're a person of color instead of looking at the the whole person and like what they're offering and what their beliefs are. But it it goes way too far when you've got, I mean, I, I'm not even talking about the class reductionists left here, the the red scares and, you know, the like the shitty, you know, like edgelord podcasters and what have you. I'm just talking about <laughs> I'm just I'm just talking about shitty people online who are going to instead of engaging with, you know, Zerlina Maxwell was being dishonest in her criticism. And this one guy that you called out uh, was specifically talking about her hair. Uh, which is that's that's a really bad look. That's not how you build. That's not how you build solidarity. That's not how you build, you know, a broad coalition of people who are all fighting for more or less the same thing. Yeah. And that was incredibly frustrating because it was like, if you're running for office, like you definitely like would have constituents that would feel a certain way about it. So it's it's not even like he's somebody like me who's just kind of a nobody shit posting on Twitter. It's like, you're actually running for office, so you should definitely Oh, be... I didn't realize he was a candidate for office. Yeah, for like San Francisco. And it's oh, like... Oh, Jesus. What are, yeah. you, what are you doing? Like, you should definitely be aware of like, how your language is perceived to other people. Uh, right, at that point, at that point, you're running for, you know, mayor of San Francisco, and you're still the white guy who asks to touch people's hair, because <laughs> it's interesting, because it's an interesting texture. Fuck that, man. Like, we, we need to move way beyond that. That is, that is not what the left needs right now, is that kind of person 
you know, front and center making these making these shitty points. Yeah. And he decided to double down to the any prominent black lefties that were trying to like educate him and actually pull him to the side. He just kind of started mass blocking people. So it was like, it's just, right. you're just making it worse. And Zerlina was just like latching onto it. And she was just, she's still having the best time ever with this because it's <laughs> yeah, like, I think, she has I think so many screenshots of it. And it's just like, there's, you had, there's nothing you can do at this point. So just, you had such an amazing, it was like, do you want, Zerlina Maxwell to go off for the next week because this is how you get Zerlina Maxwell to go off for the next week. Yeah, she's, you know, she's like, definitely this... running like a victory lap right now, and it's like there's yeah. some people trying to like correct it, but it's like no, it's it's too late. Like the screenshots are there, and like people were seeing him being indignant about it, so it's like you just kind of gotta take an L and like try again next time. As as somebody who uh, is is on the the left, broadly speaking, and you know, you're you're a black man living in a majority white state, and you know you're seeing these these sort of fuck ups happen online. Like, obviously, don't do that. But do you have? I mean, is there a formula uh, for like doing it better? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Um, I thought we were gonna. I thought we were gonna solve racism on this episode. Nah, there, there's still Damn the it. verdict's still out on how to address something like that because it's like, yeah, living in Iowa, like just hanging out with. If I go out, there's an issue, like you were saying about touching hair. Like I have long dreads, and an issue that constantly comes up is like drunk white people will gum up and like touch my hair and it's like it's one of those things that it's like i would not make this a thing if it didn't happen so often so it's like you start to kind of develop like scripts (laughs) in like just everyday interactions where it's like you kind of have to talk to the person like they're almost in kindergarten about like personal space and things like that and and it's just like that's just not touching people you don't know how do you explain like institutional racism and even like how like democrats are complicit in that in just like everyday conversations about politics within iowa and something like that because it's like people don't seem to understand that a weird thing about iowa is they have one of the most racist um I guess, outcomes of incarcerating people for, like, marijuana possession. And uh, we really don't have a lot of black people in Iowa, but for some reason, Iowa is leading the country in incarcerating black people for weed. So it's like, you kind of have to try to put that into perspective of, like, this is how, like, racist a state like Iowa can be that they don't have enough black people yet they manage to like beat all of these other states that do. I mean to a certain extent that kind of goes back to, you know, your your point about Steve King's district that you know the the idea of personally interacting with people and you know educating them and bringing them up to speed on these issues is invaluable in this sort of organizing. Um, which isn't the same thing as saying that, uh, you know, people need to be putting themselves out there, you know, to, to an extent that they're uncomfortable with or, or putting the burden completely on, you know, like black leftist organizers online 
Um, but it it does become it becomes incumbent on on everybody um, to you know for instance if some dickhead decides to make fun of Zerlina's hair on Twitter instead of engaging substantively in what she's talking about for other people to step up and be like you know what that's that's not it like this is that's that is poor organizing and and we're not going to win over certainly not the people who are just going to use that as as ammunition in a narrative that that you know, it, I mean in this case is actually true. Yeah. <laughs> like Bernie Bros are fucking racist. <laughs> it's terrible. Because and that's the thing that like Zerlina has been like definitely salivating for something like that because in previous examples she says that like the bros have always been like racist to me and people be like where's the proof? Where's the proof? And she won't right. acknowledge any of the people asking for proof. And like, yeah, she she was all over this instance because it was like it actually happened. Yeah, it was just like, do you see what's happening right now? <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it's it's a hard example. Absolutely, it's terrible. Yeah, it's it's incredibly frustrating. I can't imagine what it, <laughs> how frustrating it must be for, you know, for a black you know leftist voice online to see this kind of thing happen, and you know to to see. To see something like this play into like the worst expectations of people who you would prefer to beat at the polls. And so, yeah, that like carries over into like people who aren't on Twitter, but like they have access to MSNBC. And so they don't they don't see how there were burners and burners of color like calling the guy out. They just have Zerlina to tell them like how it happened and her perspective and things like that. So like if you try to talk to somebody that isn't like online about like, Hey, um, support Bernie Sanders. Like they're going to be like, I don't know. Like their, their supporters do this and that. And it's like, you have to basically explain like these several different layers of like what happened on Twitter. And it's, it's, it becomes very exhausting to be like, Okay, that 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 happened, but <laughs> like this this is what ended up happening afterward. Well, we got pretty low there, but I think we could bring it back. You think so? Maybe we should take a break. Maybe we should Wrong. try to bring it out on a high note. Yeah, bring it up from this low, low well. We'll see what we can do. We'll be back in a minute. So here's what uh, Tom Morello had to say about that about Paul Ryan's like for him. This is graphic one. Paul Ryan claims that he likes Rage's sound, but not the lyrics. Well. I don't care for Paul Ryan's sound or his lyrics. He can like whatever band he wants, but his guiding vision of shifting revenue more radically to the 1% is antithetical to the message of rage. God, I'd love, I couldn't love this guy more. Uh, he also points out in the very first paragraph in the thing, he was, look, Charles Manson loved the Beatles, but didn't understand them. Governor Chris Christie loves Bruce Springsteen, but doesn't understand him. And Paul Ryan is clueless about his favorite band, Rage Against the Machine. Goes on, graphic two. I wonder what Ryan's favorite Rage song is. Is it the one where we condemn the genocide of Native Americans? <laughs> the one lambasting American imperialism? Our cover of Fuck the Police? <laughs> That's probably Paul Ryan's favorite song. Uh, or, in the last graphic here, or is it the one where we call on the people to seize the means of production, so many excellent choices, to jam out to at young Republican meetings? I have the perfect high note this week. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a two-parter. Because uh, I got this from McMansion Hell on Twitter, and I hope you're all familiar <laughs> with 
with McMansion Hell. I assume you are. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> you're cool. So, you know, first of all, if you're not following McMansion Hell or just, you know, Googling McMansion Hell and it's like a Tumblr or something. I forget what even is like the original blog or whatever that she runs. Um, but she makes fun of these uh, really tacky, cheap, like 5,000 square foot, you know, custom built homes. The, the um, ones that, the, especially the ones that look like they were made by like a 13 year old in The Sims, where it's just like completely mismatching architectural <laughs> oh, <yeah>. styles. <laughs> oh, and man. Like, it's like he, fake rock on top of fake adobe on top of just like uh like a wooden structure. Yeah. Uh and you know side note into the into the high note here uh in a architecture related issue. So Todd Ricketts uh you know brother of the governor of Nebraska and you know billionaire Trump funding family uh recently gotten some hot water in Chicago because his uh, it turns out that his McMansion that he built uh, was being assessed as the old house that he tore down like 20 oh, no. years ago uh, <laughs> for the entire time. And I was like, oh, I wonder what this place is like. And it literally looks like you dumped a pile of shipping containers into a vacant lot. That is what his fucking house looks like. But yeah. it's like not shipping containers. It's like fancy, like modern architecture. It's all painted bright yellow. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yikes. Um, but anyway, she so uh, one of the that things might be that she, the episode image for this episode. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that she tweeted about recently was this amazing website called politicsanddesign.com that is just an archive of like every politician's like brand logo, and it is amazing <laughs> to just scroll God. through this endless feed of like MS Paint ass uh, <laughs> Helvetica. It's it's incredible. To see, you know, all at once the the amazing diversity and yet uniform terribleness of every <laughs> political logo ever made. Well, yeah, because they have to stand out, but they also have to be safe so that you, you know, can can attract middle America. Uh, that's how you end up with amazing designs like Jeb with an exclamation point. <laughs> One of the better ones, for sure. Uh, my favorite ones are the ones where it looks like they didn't actually care and they just like MS painted something in like 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like looking at the like towns for like uh, flags for like Provo, Utah. Or yeah, I was going to say like even, even state flags where like they ran out of ideas. So they just slapped the state seal yeah. up there and then put the name of the town on there in impact font. <laughs> yeah. Texas, you're je I'm jealous because you got a good flag. Nebraska has one of the worst flags. It's like yeah, the Nebraska same as Kansas terrible. where it's just like blue with the seal. I was like red, white, and blue. It's like French or something with yeah. the blue in the middle. And like Des Moines, their flag is like our bridges because we have like four bridges and we're quite <laughs> oh, proud yeah. of that. And I guess like they had an event where they were like the flag of Des Moines thing and like people were like i didn't even know that des moines had a flag <laughs> like yeah that, that's it that's what it looks like oh, oh i'm checking it out i I'm actually kind of dig it this is I a, think, this is a sick flag you should rock this thing man i think vexillology is really fun because the whole idea of flying a flag anyway is so that approaching ships could identify you know like who they're who they're approaching and so when you've got something that's so tightly detailed like the nebraska state flag like you'd have to be right up against them and be like oh these people are from nebraska <laughs> this is from the nebraska navy yeah well you know i think it's all about flexing your graphic design you know nowadays sure uh, and i think gay rights only succeeded because of that sick flag that flag is the fucking <laughs> all-time greatest so good 
<laughs> so you know, hey, it could it can help. Yeah, I. I... I liked the I liked the meme that was going around that um, Antifa actually invented the thin blue line flag uh, <laughs> because it was disrespectful to America and somebody made up like all of the different uh, like you know like symbolical uh, ways that this was actually encouraging communism in the United States and that that you know all of these boomers on Facebook should abandon the thin blue lines thing that was uh, yeah nice nice counter programming. Yeah, just start calling it the Antifa flag, and they'll they'll start burning. <laughs> they'll it drop it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll go next with my with my high note. Uh, there's been a, a story in the past couple of days about um, this uh, Florida gubernatorial candidate named Robert Foster, mm. um, who has decided that uh, he he's going to he's going to go with. What, what some people are calling the Billy Graham rule and some people are calling the Mike Pence rule where it's like, I can't be around any woman uh, like one-on-one ever. I think it's the um, Buster Bluth rule. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, and just watching this guy, you know, post about it. So what happened was he decided that uh, this, this one reporter who works for, like, some nonprofit, um, like, Florida news uh, outlet, online online news thing, uh, was not going to be able to cover him unless she brought a male chaperone uh, to everything. And and then mm-hmm. just watching... Oh, wait, was it, this was in Saudi Arabia, right? What, what, uh, right yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah, so the, uh, I mean... Talk about your recipe for a Twitter feeding frenzy. And the guy decided to just corn cob himself into oblivion. Uh, by ju- he just keeps doubling down on like, you know, nice, nice to see that I've, you know, it, it starts to read like a Mad Lib. It's like, yeah. nice to see that I've, I've triggered the fifis of the Antifa <laughs> liberal yeah. Marxist left because yeah. they want to My- push... You know, like anti-Christian Marxists, uh, like whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, My it just... extreme opponent wants women to be <laughs> journalists. You know, yeah. Yeah. this is not America. The American values that I know. I know that I know that the story itself is not terribly funny, but watching this guy just completely fucking melt down when he came out with. I think what he thought was like a really principled stance that was really going to resonate with his voters and then watching him just just melt into a puddle of goo under the onslaught of everybody who very rightfully is pointing the shit out as just ridiculous. Uh, That's that's been that's been my high note for the past couple of days. And like and he just he's the gift that keeps on giving because it's like every four hours. He's got a new tweet that's like, you know, now I'm getting still hate no, women. Yeah, like <laughs> people are still mad at me about treating women uh, in America like they do in Saudi Arabia. I don't see how this is, you know, like this. This is the problem with our our political landscape these days. Like, yeah, fuck you, dude. <laughs> so it's been really nice. That's that's my high note for the week. What about you, Will? Um. I guess a personal high note, I will be doing some traveling to cap oh. off my summer. Um, tomorrow, actually, I'm heading up to Minnesota, uh, visiting one of my friends. She got a job at Planned Parenthood, and just a couple friends are going up there to visit her. 
Nice. Is, she's getting out of Iowa. I guess like that. That is the goal for most Iowans. <laughs> so, <laughs> Celebration is to get out of Iowa. Um, and then next month, I, I've been planning a trip to get out to Columbia, actually. So oh, cool. So yeah, I'll probably be doing that. But another high note is I've been reading the saga of Chance the Snapper. I guess Chicago has a crocodile. That is just oh. on the loose, and they named it after Chance the Rapper, and <laughs> it's been it's been pretty amazing. Just like reading tweets from people in Chicago that are like watching just various bodies of water to see if they see the, the crocodile. Wait, is this like is this like that old urban legend where yeah, somebody this is like a, this a... Is like a myth? I I've seen a picture, <laughs> so I'm like I don't know if that was just like a stock photo, but like people are claiming that they have seen. There's a crocodile swimming around in Chicago. Fucking climate change is out of control, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Got fucking alligators in Chicago now. Like that's just wild. Hey, man. I mean, maybe maybe he'll get one of the Ricketts family. We can always hope. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe it like escaped some billionaires like moat full of alligators <laughs> right? around their McMansion. <laughs> that's a concern, you know. Uh, that's why regulations are so important, you know. <laughs> Someone's got to tell the billionaires, no alligators, please. Jesus. Oh, that's great. Well, cool, man. We wish you the best on on your travels. That sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. Where in uh, where in Minnesota are you headed? Uh, just Twin Cities. Uh-huh. So, yeah. I'm- uh, beautiful, beautiful area. We've got some... We've got some correspondence up there, and in fact, um, on that note, I wanted to. Uh, this is a this is a little high note for us uh, privately. Uh, I'm going to call a liquid flannel board meeting. Um, so okay. Matthew, present. Brendan, chunk chunk chunk. Uh, okay, uh, present. Okay, uh, that's a quorum. Uh, I wanted to nominate uh, Will Powell as our now senior Iowa correspondent. Can I get a Can I get a second on that? I'm um, I'm gonna filibuster. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take this. We'll take this to committee. <laughs> we'll let you know how it goes. It'll be like six to eight months. Oh, right. Fuck you! I'm 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 exercising veto against against Brendan here. This um, is tyranny. Yeah, <laughs> it it absolutely is. I'm the fucking executive producer. You can you can deal with it. Well. <laughs> It's been a real fun time having you on the show. We're really glad uh, that you joined us. And, you know, uh, as as our now senior Iowa correspondent, um, there's going to be some more opportunities to bring you on because there will be the Iowa caucuses and and everything else. So Yeah, how many presidents' hands have you shaken yet? It's going to be miserable because... Um, <laughs> Did you, like, eat what? a corn dog with Kamala yet? No, but, like, actually, Kamala actually showed up to my coffee shop <laughs> that I work at and she ended up leaving not even five minutes before my shift started so I came in oh. and like most of the people that work there like, they, they they are aware of my thoughts on Kamala and like they just have this shit eating grin and they were like Kamala was just here you just missed her I was like oh, you scared her great. away man she she googled the place and she was like wait a minute <laughs> don't fuck with this guy <laughs> yeah I need to get out of here right shit, now so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's always pretty fun because, um, especially if you work in a coffee shop, like it's the press just basically takes over the coffee shop for the entire day and you just have the media and their cameras everywhere and you just have to stand there looking like an idiot 
hoping that you don't like make the wrong face while CNN <laughs> is like recording or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the trick is to uh, like wear a t-shirt that the people who are filming don't notice that has like a, a political slogan on it or something. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like immediate meme overnight sensation. Well, I, you know, I wish you the best of luck when you're like cleaning, uh, you know, Beto's like boot marks off of the counter. <laughs> off of the table, yeah. Uh, in the, <laughs> you know, thank you for doing the work that America needs. Uh, Will Powell, it really has been a treat having you on, man. I'm glad that we, we got this to work out. Thank oh, you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Where can people find you, uh, say, on Twitter or what not? Uh, I am on Twitter at, at @willpowellart. Um, it's the funny thing; I have no art on there. But when I get a little bit more time, I tweets may actually okay. get some don't, more just art. Don't on degrade there. the tweets. Yeah, but like, um, you can find me there, and that would probably be where I'm actually most active. So, okay, where where's where do you keep the art? Why are you uh, keeping the art I hidden? Do you have people? an Instagram account? Free that I have art. not updated in like three years. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> let's see. I don't even remember what I named it. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. We'll 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 make sure to direct everybody to your Twitter then. All right. And of course, you know, listeners know that you can find us on Twitter at liquid underscore flannel. I'm Matthew Hodges. I'm on Twitter at MatthewGwait with a W. And Brendan Williams, you're also on Twitter. I'm at Brendan Williams with one L on the Twitters. And you've been kind of blowing up lately. It's been nice. It's been nice to see. You love to see it. Yeah. I, I, I tweeted so hard that the whole thing got shut down. The, <laughs> I don't know if you saw it. It couldn't handle my sweet tweets. They were too good. <laughs> Well, uh, Murder Brian from Street Fight next week, and one more thanks to Will Powell for being with us, our new senior Iowa correspondent. Thanks, bud. Pending. Committee approval. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs>